Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome back, Dr. Maurice. As always, it's a pleasure to be here, Dr. Pritt. Yeah, so, um, you know, we were thinking about, of course, COVID, everything is COVID. And one of the things that has been coming up a lot is the concept of herd immunity. And some people are wondering what that means exactly. I know when I went to Yellowstone, I saw a lot of herds of bison, <laughs> uh, but that's probably not what we mean here. Do you want to tell us a little bit for the listeners what herd immunity is? Well, it's definitely a hot topic. I know you're very active on Twitter. I've become active on Twitter as well. And it, a lot of questions that get asked, I've had fielded some direct questions. I haven't had time to answer all of them, unfortunately. So it's good that you and I have a chance to talk about this topic because it is very much in the public dialogue. So herd immunity is a, a term that's been around for a long time. And basically what it refers to is collective immunity, meaning that if enough people uh, in a group are immune to a disease, that ultimately slows or even stops the progression of the disease, even if not everyone is immune. So it basically says at some point, if enough people are resistant to an infection in a group or in a population or in a city or whatever, then that infection will stop to stop spreading. And, and the number is I have seen is, you know, somewhere in the 70 to 80% range is what people tend to put out there. More importantly, I think for all of us, as we live through COVID-19, which is going to be COVID-20 and 21, it looks like mm -hmm. um, going forward, is it this the whole concept is just so appealing that someday we won't have to worry about it because so many people will be immune to the disease. The challenge, of course, is how do you get there? And, and what does that look like? That to me is, is the really what's fueling the debate. We all want to get there, but how we get there is really where I think we're going to see a lot of debate going forward. Yeah, I agree. And we should talk about that. There are a couple of main ways that you could achieve herd immunity, natural infection versus vaccination. I'm guessing it's probably going to be a mix of the two, but there are pros and cons to both. And I don't know, um, with your immunology background, if you have any thoughts on uh, what would be the ideal way in your mind? Yeah. Well, I mean, from the human suffering perspective, obviously the ideal magic yeah. bullet would be a vaccine that everyone can take. We know it's absolutely safe and it makes you immune to the disease. I mean, that's like, and that's how we've eradicated some diseases like polio, right? That we never reached right. herd immunity with polio. We, by infection, we reached herd immunity by vaccination. So that's one way. Uh, the other way is that enough people get infected over time that we just build up immunity and, and eventually the disease goes on the, on the wane. Uh, that's what we saw with like the, you know, the Spanish flu, the 1918 flu pa pandemic. The challenge really is, again, there's so much that we, so we all want the answer and there's so much that we don't know. Uh, we just have pieces of information, which are unfortunately by and large, not greatly reassuring. So on the one hand, the people that would say, I, I don't want a vaccine. I think we should just let people get sick. Most people don't get seriously ill with the disease, we're, we're putting too much emphasis on that aspect of COVID-19. 
but you look and, and again, even though we've gotten better at managing COVID-19, it's causing a lot of suffering in the states in this country where it's causing a, an inc where we've seen the surge in cases. And that's in this country. What about countries where the healthcare systems are not as advanced and they won't have the same resources to care for people? That mass infection is going to cause a lot of suffering. And there's still things we don't know about chronic infection. And there's now more and more coming out about the people who have recovered from the illness or not fully recovered or have had some lingering after effects. So there's just a lot we don't know about being infected. That And last but not least, as we now have serologic testing to look at areas where it seems like a lot of people got sick, the rates of seroconversion actually are not that high. So I think the one that's gotten the most attention was in Spain where there was a lot of suffering with the disease. There was only about, I think the maximum was 10% seroconversion. So Again, is seroconversion going to be the best measure of, of immunity? We don't even know that yet. So there's just a lot with, the, with that. But then the vaccines, there's still the unknown of how effective will a vaccine be. And, and also there's a lot of people that's called the anti-vaxxers. I mean, there's certainly a, a group of people in this, in this country and in, in the world that are skeptical of vaccines and the long-term health consequences that one might have from them. So, so much unknown uh, right now. And I think that's, again, it's something that holds so much promise for getting us through this and getting us back to normality, but so many unknowns, it's just gonna fuel a lot of debate. Yeah, I agree. Well, and of course we don't know when the vaccine will be ready and how quickly we can roll it out to cover most of our population. And around the world, there's gonna be some real logistical challenges, especially if it requires a cold chain where you have to keep the product cold all the way to the end when you administrate it to the person, that's not really possible in some parts of the world. So I wonder if it's gonna be a mix of natural immunity with vaccination when you can. You know, you yes. brought up the uh, 1918 influenza, though I will say that if you can generate a strong protective immune response, it could be so powerful. Um, when the 2009 H1N1 came back uh, after other viral influenza strains had been circulating, it was really interesting to see that those people that had been infected back in 1918 had some immunity from the new circulating influenza strain in 2009. That's wow. amazing. That so it does amazing. show the power of the immune response, but it is that question of, is it going to be antibodies? Is it going to be T cells? Is it going to be a mixture of both? And can a vaccine elicit a protective response from those different branches of the immune system, cellular and uh, humoral? Yeah. I do wonder about that. To me, that's going to be the next thing we could see with COVID-19 as a new wave of diagnostic tests around the immune system and immunity. Uh, you know, there's such a heavy emphasis on serology in part because it's important, but in part because it's the most it's the most directly measurable by a lab test. You know, the other components of the immune system, whether it's innate immunity and NK cells or even T cells, are a lot more difficult to assess. So, but that might be where the answer lies in terms of confidently uh, being able to predict that someone's going to be immune to the virus. So, I, I do think that over the next year or two, we'll see a lot of advances in diagnostics pertaining to the immune system that will have uh, implications outside of COVID-19 because immunity is so important in many diseases, including cancer. So th mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that we'll see. And I do get the sense that honestly, what's going to get us through the pandemic is going to be a combination of things between natural infection, passive immunity with things like convalescent antisera or antibody therapies and vaccination. And that we're just going to have to really manage all these and figure out what parts of the world they can be deployed in 
And that's going to put a, a continued need on diagnostics as well. Like I said, we have to still f figure out where the virus is with the tests we have now and create the new ones that will help uh, us understand who's immune. Yeah, I think that's really uh, a take home message for any of the laboratorians listening to us and for myself and for our group here at Mayo Clinic, we need to continue to innovate and develop ways to really detect clear markers that would predict immunity or protection against COVID-19. We already have the neutralizing antibody and we talked to Dr. Mills about that on one of our previous podcasts. So you could all listen to that if you're interested. And that's great because it's detecting antibodies that have formed in response to infection that can actually neutralize the virus. Not all antibodies are neutralizing. But uh, Bill, what do you think about other tests as far as uh, detecting T-cell responses? What do you see on the horizon? We'll look at T-cell responses and figure out, again, how do we get things that are very technically complex and create simplified assays that give us the same information? And also, I think we'll see more on innate immunity as well. We haven't talked a lot about that because the innate immune system is the most difficult to actually measure, but T NK cells and dendritic cells play a hugely important role in combating viral infection. And so that might be another one that we, we will probably see a focus of assays on, on some of those components of the immune system as well. So it might be if people really have a strong innate immune system, they might not need vaccination as urgently as someone who does not, who's going to be more relying on, on adaptive immunity with TNN with T cells and B cells. Yeah, that is fascinating. Well, I guess the message for us now is continue to uh, engage in all of the safe behaviors that we talk about every week on our podcast because we don't have a magic bullet yet and we have a lot of things that are promising as far as measuring immunity. We have the vaccine in our future but it's not quite here yet. So everyone just needs to maintain safe distancing, mask wearing, hand hygiene, and all of the other measures that we've been talking about. I agree 100%. We need to, I think the two messages are, we need to continue to slow the spread of the virus in all ways possible. And from the lab side, I do think that we have to make sure that we continue to emphasize the need for engagement of the lab in solving the problem. I think there's some that fear that all the talk of a vaccine or a treatment, then people will pivot away from thinking about, well, diagnostics are important, and clearly they're going to be for some time. Agreed. Well, great. It was always, uh, always good to talk to you, Bill. Yeah, you too, Bobby. I look forward to it now every week. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.